Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This sutta follows the introduction and our first look at jhana in the initial class, and then we did five classes on the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, where the Buddha teaches us first the method of establishing the right method of meditation or jhana meditation for the sole purpose of deepening concentration, and then the rest of that sutta is how to apply it to various themes of the Dhamma. And now this sutta, the jhana sutta, is how to actually do it and what to, um, what to look for and how to apply these ever-deepening levels of jhana. And again, the, the purpose of jhana meditation is to increase concentration. The purpose of the sutta is to recognize that you're actually doing that. The Buddha's words from the jhana sutta. I tell you, friends, that the ending of the defilements of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, all rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, depends on fully developing the four levels of jhana and overcoming the establishment for the desire and the establishment in the dimension of, the in, of, of infinitude of space, the dimension of infinitude of consciousness, the dimension of nothingness, or the dimension of perception or non-perception. That sounds like a lot of gobbledygook. But all the Buddha is saying is to avoid something that was very common during his time and just as common today, which is seeking resolution of the Dhamma in some magical, mystical, speculative, non-physical realm as a reward for a faith-based practice or for the reward for the rites and rituals or, if you will, the... the, the um, the cloak of Dhamma practice without actually doing Dhamma practice. So again, it was common during the Buddha's time. It's what I found um, is most prevalent in modern Buddhism, meaning practicing anything other than what the Buddha actually taught. And the whole purpose of... (coughs) Excuse me. The whole purpose of the Buddha's Dhamma is to develop understanding of four noble truths and end the constant grasping after and establishment of greed, aversion, and ongoing deluded thinking. In other words, for ongoing eye-making. Friends, the ending of the defilements depends on the first jhana. Everything that we do depends on establishing this first jhana. And that first jhana is secluded from sensuality, and other unskillful mental qualities. One enters and remains in the first jhana. So we do that when we begin our meditation practice. We put the world behind. We find a secluded space. The Buddha might say, go find the root of a tree or an empty hut and do jhana. And this is what he's instructing us to do. To sit down, find a comfortable way of sitting, close our eyes and take a breath. And in that first breath, we are establishing seclusion from sensuality. We're closing our eyes. We're taking a breath where our focus is no longer out there. It's now in here. And for many of us with the first thought, or at least the first thought that we recognize or the first feeling that we recognize, it will be a distracting feeling or thought. What do we do? In jhana practice, we simply take another breath. 
and we start deepening our concentration. The Buddha teaches this first jhana, this first level of meditative absorption, is experience of, as rapture born of that very seclusion. Rapture is an archaic word, but it simply means joyful engagement with, in this case, the Dhamma. Joyful engagement with the Dhamma. So if we don't feel that as part of our Dhamma practice, when we begin our meditation practice, look for it and cultivate it. Because if it's not there, it's important that you do cultivate it. Recognize what you're doing. And if joyful engagement with your Dhamma practice isn't there, it's because you haven't yet taken true refuge. And so talk to me, talk to one of the other teachers, look at the Ratana Sutta, R-A-T-A-N-A, listen to those talks, and learn what it means to take true refuge in the Buddha, his Dhamma, and a well-focused Sangha. Because from that point on, then we, are get, we will take joy in, in the seclusion that is a natural consequence of our jhana practice. So we, we leave the world behind, we find our meditative posture, our meditative space, and we take a breath. And that very seclusion is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Again, thing, this is something that is always misunderstood or almost always misunderstood as something special that we should be doing with our directed thought. But all that we are doing is directing our minds back to the fact that we're having an experience. In this case, a feeling is arising. I direct my thought to recognize that feeling and I come back to the breath. I direct my thought back to my breath. So in this first level of jhana, there is directed thought and there's evaluation. Am I doing this right? Or is this too hard? And all of these are part of the first level of jhana. They're not wrong if you find yourself evaluating your practice. But notice that it falls away as your jhana practice continues. The Buddha's words. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the second jhana, which is the stilling of directed thought and evaluation. There's also a little kind of a hidden clue there that the defilements are also expressing themselves through these deepening levels of jhana. In other words, clinging to sensual desire rather than recognizing that I'm being distracted by it and coming back to my breath is giving in to greed, isn't it? Or you could say it's giving in to the aversion of deepening concentration. And it will always manifest in this way as something that I judge is either missing in this, or I don't like this meditation method that that crazy bold guy teaches, or there's something wrong in the basic practice and I just don't want to do it. And all of those are things that will come up in practice, and if you let them, they will take you out of your Dhamma practice. Or if you recognize they're just part of this whole thing called directed thought and evaluation that is utterly meaningless, maybe I should say ultimately utterly meaningless, and simply take a breath. (coughs) And so we stop using our distracted mind to distract us away from deepening our concentration. Do you see? It is only a mind that gives in to distraction that can't deepen concentration. And again, think about what we're asking us to do. Adult human beings, sit quietly for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes and don't do anything except take a breath. And yet we have such a difficult time in doing this. Some of us have a difficult, difficult time in just beginning with this, finding a secluded spot because we're too busy or there's too much noise. 
or the baby's crying or the dog's barking or the news is on or the music is playing, whatever it might be. But every adult human being is capable of finding a secluded spot and doing jhana. It's only because we give in to our own distractions that we don't or decide that we can't. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the second jhana. If we're going to the end distraction and the the If we're going to end defilement-born distraction, we have to go through this deepening concentration. Why am I saying this now? Because some of us want to substitute something. Either we want to develop a a seven-fold path, give up meditation and just do the other seven factors, or do a nine-fold path, meaning the eight-fold path that we're talking about, and let's introduce another meditation method because it's what I'm familiar with and what most of my friends are doing. Or, I really like the idea of prayer, so let me include prayer and make it a nine-factor path. Or, I like, I like that a lot of my friends chant. I think that's good. Let me chant. And all of those things are wonderful, but they're not part of Dhamma practice. So do them separately if you want to do them. And that's an important distinction. It's okay to do anything you want and engage in any kind of so-called spiritual activity, just understand that it has nothing to do with Dhamma practice, and your Dhamma practice will remain pure, and it will, it will remain skillful. As soon as we start attaching any idea to Dhamma, we start losing this ability to deepen concentration, because now we're not deepening our concentration, we're looking for something else to develop. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the second jhana, which is the stilling of directed thought and evaluation. This second thought, this second jhana, is experienced as rapture and pleasure, now born of concentration. So the first level, we're, we're finding pleasure just born of that very seclusion. I put the world behind. It feels good to just sit quietly, to enter that, that, that refuge from my life that I have as part of my Dhamma practice. And now my jhana practice is deepening. I'm entering the second jhana. Now the pleasure is there, the rapture is there, because I'm noticing concentration. And if I don't notice concentration, there's no opportunity for even the second jhana to manifest, is there? So if you don't recognize the second jhana, it may be because you're not recognizing the pleasure that is established in the second jhana, born of concentration. And I can tell you that concentration, a well-concentrated mind, is one of the great pleasures of life. If you haven't experienced it yet, give yourself a a shot at doing it. Because it encompasses everything. If you want to have a real shot at life, take a shot at developing concentration because it's a requirement. It makes sense, doesn't it? For me to have a mature, awakened, fully mature human experience... It makes sense that I have to be concentrated enough to know I'm having it. And that's all that we're doing. We're developing a skill that allows us to live in this moment. We're developing a skill to abandon the past and the future. We're developing a skill, a recognizable skill, that is a direct counter to greed and aversion and ongoing deluded thinking. That second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Why shouldn't there be rapture there, joyful engagement, when we understand what we're actually doing for ourselves and to ourselves? 
The Buddha continues, now free of directed thought and evaluation, the joy of concentration permeates their entire mind and body. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the third jhana, which is the fading of rapture. So this isn't falling into some grim determination. It simply means that now joyful engagement is falling away. And what arises now? Because even that joyful engagement at deepening levels of concentration is seen as distraction. They remain equanimous. The third depends on the third jhana, which is the fading of rapture. They remain equanimous, mindful, alert, sensitive to pleasure. A completely different experience in grasping after pleasure, isn't it? Now I have a mature mind. I'm sensitive to pleasure. I don't grasp after it and I'm not afraid of it. Which means I finally stop being afraid of my own life and my participation in my life. They remain equanimous, mindful, alert, and sensitive to pleasure. With the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. I hope this doesn't disconnect. Ah, good. The phone rang there for a moment. Um, So, uh, I would bet that everyone would bet. I know that every one of you has experienced the first, second, and third jhana as I'm describing. Would any of you say that you haven't experienced this? Sensitive to pleasure, the fading of rapture, and a pleasant abiding that permeates your entire mind and body. Has anybody not? Wave your hand or speak up. So you are experiencing the the three levels of jhana, and as you see, you'll, you'll see you're also experiencing the fourth level of jhana. I'm just pointing that out because that's the whole point, to recognize that you're actually experiencing this. Why? Because... Your Dhamma practice at some point will become self-empowering. And that is how we become rightly self-awakened as the Buddha teaches us. Your awakening does not depend on me, your teacher, or, or anything else except your engagement and development of the Dhamma. That happens to include a teacher. It happens to include taking refuge in the notion that an awakened human being did this, he taught his Dhamma, you take refuge in that, and you take refuge in a well-informed and well-focused Sangha. Permeates their entire mind and body. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking depends on the fourth jhana, or developing the fourth jhana, which is the abandoning of, of evaluation. So now I'm simply resting in this pure mind of equanimity. I'm no longer judging whether I'm doing it right or am I doing it wrong or are those other people right that taught something different or whatever it might be or is there something wrong with meditation like some Christians might say. I'm not putting down Christians. Some people say that and that's okay that they say it. We know there isn't. We know that our our jhana practice is pure. We're practicing, practicing it as it is intended to be practiced and we know we are because we're recognizing it we're recognizing these deeper levels of jhana. Furthermore, the ending of the defilements depends on the fourth jhana, which is the abandoning of evaluation. They enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Excuse me. (coughs) 
pure equanimity and mindful. It means that we're mindful of our quality of mind being pure and equanimous. We're mindful of it. We're holding in mind. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. It's still present. It's just not seen. It's not part of the picture anymore. Why? Because I'm not taking pleasure or pain or ambiguity personally. Because none of it's me. Because you learn from the Buddha and that crazy bald guy and the other five teachers that this is not me, this is not mine. This is not what I am. It's just a thought. And in this case, it's a pure thought resting in equanimity. Calm and peaceful. Undefiled. Simply a reference point to what's occurring. An awakened human being. A fully mature human being. That fourth jhana is recognized as a pleasant abiding, which is another quality of mind that you would attribute to an awakened, fully mature human being, isn't it? There's no need for stress or disturbance because this one is mature. They know what's occurring. They know what it means to be a human being. And they're not afraid of it. And they don't need any more of it. They're just it. This follower of the Noble Eightfold Path understands that any phenomena connected to five clinging aggregates, meaning form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, or consciousness, is impermanent, stressful. It's a disease. It's painful. It's an affliction, and as such, it is anatta. It is not self. It cannot be self if it has any of those qualities. If it's a phenomenon that is connected to the five clinging aggregates, how does it, something become connected? By our clinging. By our decision to cling to it. By making this mine. Any form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, consciousness, it's all impermanent. All of it. So all of these things that I have decided are me, that I'm clinging to and insisting that I must have them in my life, no matter how painful, no matter how isolating they might be, or maybe not, but still a fabrication, then I recognize them as impermanent, stressful, they're a disease. It's painful. This is an affliction that I'm maintaining. What? What's the affliction? What's the affliction, David? Ignorance. Ignorance, David said. It's just ignorance. It's just ignorance that we're recognizing, and it's just ignorance that we're abandoning. It's nothing of any value. And as we recognize our deeper levels of jhana, we're recognizing the qualities of mind, of an, uh, the, the qualities of an ever-deepening, well-concentrated, pure mind. We get to see what it is that we're developing. It's just this. And we get to have a direct experience of what we're developing as we develop it. The whole point of concentration, the whole point of jhana. Recognizing that that it is an affliction. Ignorance is an affliction. It's a disease. It's painful. And as such, it's not me. It's anatta. Another way to say it is, as such, it has nothing to do with me. It's a fabrication of my own creation. I made it. To put it bluntly, I can kill it. I made it. I can abandon it. I've clung myself to it. I can cut it off at the root and let it go. I can liberate myself. In fact, I'm the only one that can liberate myself. This follower of the Noble Eightfold Path... Oh, let me say it again. This follower of the Noble Eightfold Path 
disregards those phenomena and inclines their, inclines their mind to the cessation of ignorance. Disregards the phenomena. How do we know what the phenomena is to disregard? Anything that is forming an agitation or a distraction in your mind. And if it's not present now, you can trust. You don't have to have faith because you've experienced it. You can trust that it will manifest so that you can abandon it as, you, as your Dhamma practice continues. You don't have to grasp after anything that you're not ready to recognize and abandon. That's what I mean when I talk about be gentle with yourself. As thing arises, things arise, that's when it's time to deal with it. And the only way to deal with it is with great gentleness. Gentleness, gentle, Great gentleness is the removal of evaluation. We stop judging things. We stop judging ourselves or the remnants of our, of our mind in any negative way. It's just what's occurring. Excuse me. They disregard those phenomena and incline their minds to the cessation of ignorance. Nothing remains to provoke the birth of suffering. That's the only te- teaching on birth or rebirth that we need to know. It's the only real teaching on birth or rebirth that the Buddha ever taught. What am I giving birth to in this moment? Which means, what am I holding in mind? Or not. This follower of the Noble Eightfold Path, from fully developing these four levels of jhana, knows an exquisite peace. So has, have every one of you, and I know you have, but please tell me if you haven't, experienced an exquisite peace during your meditation practice, during your jhana practice. Maybe I should ask it this way. Has any one of you not experienced an exquisite peace during your jhana practice? No. And again, notice there's no qualification that the Buddha puts on this or me or any of your other teachers will ever put. That notice an exquisite peace that lasted for 15 weeks or 15 years or forever or 18 moments. There's never a qualification on it. Why? Because that is unimportant. It's almost... You could, it, it is, grasping after would be anathema to the Dhamma, wouldn't it be? Because we're trying to establish permanence in an impermanent mind. But that, but that impermanent mind moves from one moment in its life to the next moment in life with a calm and peaceful mind, resting in jhana. Why? Because of jhana meditation. Because this person has developed concentration to the point that they can hold in mind the Eightfold Path and see things from right view. Meaning, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. In this moment, does anybody think they can't do that? Whether you've done it or not, do you think you can't do it? I would bet that none of you thinks that way because you know what the Dharma is about. You recognize it. It's not something that you have to grasp after. You understand it's simply a natural consequence of developing jhana and incorporating the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. Then the Buddha gives us a beautiful metaphor. It is as if an archer or their apprentice were to, were to practice on a particular target, awakening. With continued practice, they would be able to shoot quickly for long distances, long distances piercing many targets. It's just a natural consequence of your practice. In the same manner, they reach the cessation of the defilements. If not then, through continued joyful right effort and the cessation of the five lower fetters. Now the Buddha is teaching us what we can expect will happen. 
And this is, again, this is not something to grasp after, but recognize that this is occurring as a consequence of, of jhana practice or dhamma practice. Self-identification slips away. What did I just say? What did I just say? This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. It's simply a part of jhana practice. We don't have to grasp after the concept. It comes to us. Grasping at rituals and practices. It will fall away, especially if you're part of this sangha, because we don't engage in rituals or practices. Why? Because the Buddha tells us not to. And your teacher found out that there were, in this case, a waste of time. We don't fall into doubt and uncertainty. And how do we do that? What's the most effective way that as a sangha we don't fall into doubt and uncertainty? Because we're always talking about how, how Dhamma practice is working for us. We don't have session after session after session about how awful our lives are and how awful the world is and how awful this person has to change. And if everybody would change and just follow what we do, we're great. No, we don't talk about that stuff. We talk about what is internal to us that vexes us so that we can recognize and abandon it within a warm and welcoming sangha. And it's gentle and it's peaceful. And it's easy to understand, isn't it? Because we truly do this individual practice together. Sensual craving is abandoned. We recognize it as part of our practice. Initially, we recognize it on our cushion, don't we? How do we recognize it? We, as soon as we start our meditation practice, and three minutes goes by and we can't stand it anymore, we can't wait to stop it, and remember that bold guy that said, just do five minutes in the beginning. And we take a breath and we do five minutes. And now we're overcoming the conditioned thinking that would say, oh yeah, my thought was I got to stop meditating, so I stopped meditating. When we don't do that, we're overcoming sensual craving directly. It's not magic. It's not something bestowed on us because you're such wonderful people. You are, but it's not because of that. You could awaken even if you are wonderful people. Even wonderful people can awaken, believe it or not. But some have the hardest time of all. Why? Because of deluded thinking that's maintained by saving the world, which falls away with self-identification. Actually, John, I just had a question on that. Please. On that note, I, can you distinguish or clarify why they use the word rapture in that level of jhana because I keep getting confused, you know, I understand joyful engagement, but when I hear rapture, it almost reminds me of other things that border into deluded thinking and salvific kind of thing. Yeah, so it's a great question. So uh, it's hard, is that, why well, is that particular word used? Be, uh, intentionally by me. Um, <laughs> and one of the reasons... And I went, I mean, this was one of those things that I went back and forth a lot. Um, do I really want to include this? And it was, in, Rapture was included in a lot of Tanisero's um, uh, translations. And he's one of the scholars that I really respect as far as their understanding of the language and translating it in a somewhat, I would say a very useful way. I said somewhat, but I don't mean a Tanisero. He's a, he's a great translator, but he still keeps a lot of the magic and mysticism in that I had to strip out. Yeah. But because he used that word so often, and then other translations use it 
more than occasionally. And because of what it actually means, which is joyful engagement, I decided to keep it in because I knew that I could explain it that way. Right. Not, and also that it doesn't mean, I know that there's the religious connotation that it's the second coming, right. and that's and how most people things, think of it, yeah. and that's where the confusion could come from. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm almost always clear that I say, we don't yeah. mean that way. Right, right. We simply mean mm-hmm. joyful engagement with the Dhamma. Yeah. Why didn't I just say that? Because I am what I am. <laughs> um, that's a, that is the best and simple answer. But um, the the translator and the restorer gets to use a, can't help but but put a little bit of themselves in the restoration. Maybe a lot of themselves. <clears throat> and I just thought that it was the most appropriate word in that case. So there it is. But thank you for asking. So that that it, it is always, important. Yeah, it's always an issue with with translations that you have previous translators, no. and, and you have a, a kind of an established way of of translating certain words. And if you all of a sudden change that, you just you can cause more confusion mm-hmm. instead of less confusion. Yeah, a part of it was that I I knew that I'd be getting questions from other people about translations and what they read. Um, and I knew that I'd probably have to justify this at some point. And that, that also went into my thinking. Mm-hmm. Is this, can I really represent what I'm putting here? And you know, I, think, I think we proved that I can. Mm-hmm. But that's, a, you know, that's part of... It wouldn't have done me any good to, re, to restore 350 suttas if they're useless. If they, if they only reflect what I wanted them to reflect. Mm-hmm. Which is the problem, I think, with most of the translations. Mm-hmm. You know, again, forgive me if I'm way off base. I think I... I and representing the Dhamma in, a, in, in a, the way that we're meant to be represented. Um, I know it's not word for word, but nobody knows what the Buddha's words actually were. So all that we can take from the suttas is to look for the underlying thread, which is dependent origination and Four Noble Truths. And in that way, then we can faithfully, faithfully accurate, accurately restore the suttas to where they were. But again, it, it, sometimes the words are... Um, they're for a reason but they can still be confusing so thanks for the question Um, let me continue with this the Buddha continues from from not giving in to those five lower feathers the Buddha says they are released they are unbound and then he says I tell you friends that the ending of the defilements of greed, aversion and deluded thinking depends on fully developing the four levels of jhana and overcoming the establishment for the Overcoming the desire for the establishment and the infinitude of space, infinitude of consciousness, the dimension of nothingness or the dimension of perception or non-perception. Any, what, what those are relating to is any magical, mystical, non-physical, speculative existence where I might try to establish myself, which is really just rooted in self-loathing. And, and this life is so awful that I have to escape it to another one. And I'll get there if I just do you know, a certain... Um, moral uh, activities in my life, I'll get, I'll get a reward. Again, that's just a waste of life, isn't it? it I mean, it, 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 I, I knew when I was very young, I don't want to go there, it would sound, I was going to use an example that would beat up a religion, but I want you all to know that I just practice wise restraint as an example. I didn't go there. So. Um, but it was tempting, I'll tell you. I've just been listening to, to Billy Connolly. Oh, he's, he's, the, he's the greatest. <laughs> Where he lays into certain things. Yeah, everybody. If you want, if you want, just a little break from reality that 
won't be harmful. Listen to Billy Conley. By the way, have, have you ever seen the interview that he gave to his wife, who is oh, yeah. a... Uh, um, we're going to get off track. Yeah. yeah. Look up Billy Conley, but also look up his... Uh, I, yeah, I just saw that last night. I was did, did you see his his, uh, his Scottish-American trail on PBS? No, I It's, it's incredible. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, the, this followed the, the Buddha's words. Of the Noble Eightfold Path, having abandoning self-identification with form, having, a, having abandoned aversion... Having abandoned self-reference, now here and now there. Now here and now there. I stopped trying to establish myself in every thought, word, and idea that could occur to me. Here and there. In this life and the next life. In this idea and the next idea. Self-reference, now here and now there. They enter and remain in the perception of the infinitude of space. Now the only reason the Buddha is teaching this is not to grasped after the establishment of the infinitude of space, he's saying even that is foolish. Even here they understand that any phenomena connected with the five clinging aggregates, meaning chasing after non-physical establishments, right? What, what, what would that be? But I'm trying to establish these five clinging aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness, from this disappointing and unsatisfactory moment into another or a future life that will be satisfying. Or at least, somebody told me it will, because I've done enough penance, enough bowing, etc., etc. Without ever really changing my mind. So I'm, and this is really what confused me about all of my modern Buddhist practice. I'm not putting it down. It helps a lot of people. For me, <laughs> i got to think, think of a, a one-word disclaimer for that so people know what I mean. For me, it just led to more and more confusion. And I kept questioning, why the hell am I putting all this time into in developing something that everybody's telling me is of no value here and now? But yet I did it because everybody around me was doing it. The people I was affiliated with, my friends, these teachers that I respected the hell out of. So I just did it until I got finally fed up and I said, I'm not doing it anymore. And I looked to see if the, if the Buddha actually taught something that I could use. So, as such, once you get through all that, all of those things are not self. And we disregard those phenomena and incline their minds to the cessation of ignorance. We stop chasing after magic and mysticism and speculative fabrications. And now nothing remains within me to provoke the birth of suffering. The Buddha concludes this section by saying, anytime you try to establish yourself in any non-physical realm, including in the next moment, I'll be good to go. That's a fabrication, by the way. It's just as much of a fabrication as in the next life, I'll be good to go. No, in this life, I want to be good to go. In this moment, I'm good to go. And I don't need any excuse or any explanation for this. My presence in this moment, having this human life, is the only excuse or explanation I ever need to give. And I don't ever have to give it. And any time I think that I have to, I'm rooted in eye-making. If I ever think I have to excuse myself after I know that I practice right speech, right action, right livelihood, I'm falling into eye-making. 
When we practice the Dhamma and integrate the Eightfold Path and deepen our concentration to the point where we can stay there, the great liberation comes from knowing that I can no longer harm myself or another human being in thought, word, and deed. And this is the profound level of concentration and the cessation of eye-making that we're talking about. And it's just in the next breath. This follower of the Noble Eightfold Path, from fully developing these four levels of jhana, knows an exquisite peace. Fabrications have ended. Remember how dependent origination, how the origination of suffering begins? From ignorance of four noble truths comes fabrications. From fabrications through twelve observable causative links comes this whole mass of stress and suffering. Rooted in ignorance comes fabrications. Fabrications ended. Grasping too. This passion and unbinding established. Friends, the cessation of the defilements depends on recognizing and abandoning the five clinging aggregates, the five fetters, overcoming the desire for the establishment in the dimension of, of the infinitude of space or any magical or mystical or speculative establishment, or including the, just any other dimension, including the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception, that's a little bit more significant than the other dimensions only because that's what Nagarjuna, some of you that have studied Nagarjuna, uh, the, the 6th century, um, that's what he sunk his teeth in and he came up with these ideas of, of reconciling that, that you could reconcile neither perception nor non-perception in a dimension of neither thought nor non-thought. And I spent a few years trying to figure that one out and I almost cut my head off trying to do it. So... <laughs> This is thus. This is a profound understanding. Un- it's true. I'm sorry. It really. I mean, it, it. It. It's presented in such a way as important. But how could you ever understand that? It's just nonsense. But because of the credence given it by the speakers, you think it's important. How, it's just. I, I can't even get two pages into the Abhidharma, let alone. Yeah. But yeah, but you tried though, didn't you? You, oh, yeah. you, you thought yeah. it was worth the effort. Until you, explodes. Yeah, yeah. 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 But and again, it's not a put down of what something that people are practicing. But I would say, how could you? I'm glad I came across the Buddhist Dhamma. The Buddha continues. Thus, this is a profound understanding. This type of Dhamma practice. Again, the Buddha's talking. Put yourself in his, in the in the time period. There was just as many different practices. Of, floating around northern India and southern Nepal during Nepal during the Buddhist time as there are in our communities today. All claiming, just like the Buddhist, in the Buddhist time, they're the one true Dhamma. So it's up to us to find out for ourselves. The Buddha says thus, this is a profound understanding. It is unsurpassed in overcoming the five clinging aggregates. These followers, those followers of the Noble Eightfold Path, who have attained this understanding and emerge from dependence on ignorance, skillful meditators all, will rightly explain this to others. It's the end of the sutta. So again, the Buddha, he's not saying that you will all become Dhamma teachers. He just said you will become living examples. That's what that means. You will be able to explain it to others by the way you live your life. And all of this practice is rooted in this simple thing that anybody, I keep saying, anybody can do. And if you're finding it difficult to meditate for five minutes, ask yourself, is it ridiculous that an adult human being can't do this? 
And the answer is no, it's not ridiculous. But it's a skill that's easily developed and you might want it. And again, we know how to develop it and we know how to recognize that we're developing it. We know how to incorporate the other other seven factors of the Eightfold Path and we have a warm and welcoming Sangha that allows us to do this at our own pace with the support of each other. So that's our talk. I want to go to Julie. Nobody, Julie, nobody ever has to talk, but I want to go to you first since you're the first uh, first time here. Welcome to our Sangha, Julie. Uh, Jeannie, I'm sorry. Welcome, Jeannie. Hello. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure what to say. This was great. I mean, this was uh, this is just a wonderful like reinforcement um, in the middle of my week. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining. Uh, I, I I don't know how much you've spent on the website, but on the website there is five to forty five minute guided jhana meditations that you can listen to that have the 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 guidance of the four foundations of mindfulness as as their guidance. And then uh, I hope you continue to join us and uh, develop the dhamma with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Hello, Julia. Hi, everybody. I thought that was wonderful. I got a lot out of that. Thank you so much. It's like every time I come here, I'm like, oh, this is what I needed. Yeah. Um, me too. Yeah. I I, uh, I I like how in your emails also and in, in your talks and how you mentioned to always be gentle because that is something I, I so need to repeat over yeah. and over again yeah. um because and also how you mentioned when we're um like not ready to face some things and like it's okay to if it arises to be like okay like not like i can't handle this right now and like yeah. i forget that i can do that because i'll like like i'll i'll recognize like i'll be uncomfortable or something will come up and i'll like grab a distraction because and i yeah. know i'm doing it and I'll be like, it's okay. Like, let me just go on Facebook. Like, I'm going to run from this feeling because I don't want to feel it right now. And then I get mad that I do that. But yeah. I'm recognizing that I'm doing that. So that's, I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, that's so important, Julie, that you recognize it and you're stopping it. You're interrupting that process. That's jhana practice, dhamma practice. Sometimes I can stop it. Other times I'm like, I'm, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to continue this because I don't, Good for you. I don't want to see you right now. Yeah. Again, I, you know, it, you're, that, that's also an aspect of gentleness. You know, it's, it's up to you to, to, to find out what you want to change and change it or not. And the, the, the Dhamma really gives you a framework for recognizing that. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm doing. And sometimes I'll be gentle, other times I'll 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 be mean to myself, like, Wow, why can't I just sit with this feeling? But it's really because I'm not ready yet. Not well, ready. there's actually an aspect of conditioned thinking too. We we think that it, this is kind of ingrained in our Western culture, but it's seeping all over the planet if it hasn't already. That the the way to better ourselves is to first find out what we're doing wrong, beat ourselves up for ten or fifteen weeks. And then we'll change somehow. And it, it never, ever works. It's brutal. And it's not being gentle with ourselves. So that, that way of changing is just ingrained in us. And re as it arises, recognize it and simply abandon it. Because we don't change that way. Nobody ever changes that way. Mm. And um, also you mentioned something like the mind isn't meant to be like 
imper like it's nothing's in nothing's permanent like our mind is impermanent and i'm constantly living in the past or the future or planning or and it makes sense on why i'm in if i'm trying to grasp onto the past or the future no wonder why i'm stressed yeah because right. my mind is not here it's it's right here right yeah. now but i'm trying to grasp onto something that's not here and now and then i'm like oh i'm trying to make things permanent yeah yeah so and, thank and, you and and you're again what also what you're doing is you're you're taking something in, that was in the past bringing it into the future with a a new fabrication like the attached to it and using that to describe your reality in this moment and how could it instead of simply being present for what's occurring but mm -hmm. you're also recognizing this, this this is the process you know recognizing as they arise in your mind practice wise restraint in this moment if you're able to and get into the next moment but in a gentle way you know it's mm. just that it's just this practice I'm glad to join this. Mary, welcome. Thanks, Julia. Is that Mary there or not? Is Mary on? No, Mary. Yeah. Mary. There's, there's no Mary. Oh, who's, no, in, the, who's in the top row? Well, I'll go to Jane. I know Jane's here. Hello, Jane. Hi, John. Oh, that's right, Sammy and somebody else. <laughs> How are you, Jane? I'm well. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I just want to comment that I do recognize the peace that I have developed through my practice. So, Yeah, yeah it's so important. Thank you. Yeah. Sammy. Hi, John. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Um, I every time I hear you speak, every every word I read, I I feel like my mind expands. Like my my true um, perception of everything just gets bigger and, and um, brighter. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sammy. Thanks for your kind words and thanks for joining us tonight. Brian, how are you? I'm good, John. How are you? Oh, good. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm struck by the wise restraint throughout this this suda that that it's it's just these handful of things um, to 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 deal with another handful of things. It's just it's not it's not a ton of stuff, and, and getting caught up in all these dimensions and whatnot is just it's not skillful. Yeah, uh, and just coming back to the practice and sticking to the the jhana, the meditation, the eightfold path, and that's it. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Brian. Ryan, good to good to see you online with us tonight. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks, thanks, John, for that uh, talk. As always, uh, certainly helpful. Uh, helpful in the middle of the week, like someone said earlier. Uh, I have, yeah, not, not, nothing really to comment or share at the moment. So, thanks for joining thanks. us, Ryan. Brett. <clears throat> uh, good to be here. Thanks for your teaching. Um, a lot of uh, there's tons tons in there. I think um, for me, and uh, I think just uh, there are all the things that are a continual practice and things that I have to work on. Um, so it was a lot it was a lot to take in and it was it was all good to hear because i needed to hear all that stuff right now so yeah. good to be here 
Thank you, Brett. Laura, do you mind if I put the camera on? I should ask. I'm going to start doing that. Any, if anybody minds that I put the camera on, just tell me. You don't have to be on camera to come to Donald okay. Clay. Is it okay? Yeah. I don't have much to add either. Thank you, everyone, for your wonderful comments. Um, yeah, Brett was saying it, it's a continual practice, and it takes a lot of persistence, but like gentle, you know, persistence. So it's, it's so helpful. Thank you, John. Thanks, Laura. So I'm going to Rob. <clears throat> Thank you for this. Um, yeah, part of this sutta is also a repetition of um, the handful of leaves. Yeah. You know, he's, he's given you the, the four leaves in, in the four jhanas, and he says, and then there is, you know, <laughs> a tree full of, of leaves out there that you don't really need to wonder about. Yeah. Worry about. Yeah, it, for me, a jhana practice is, is just an ongoing thing. Um, it's been, you know, a 10-year process of <clears throat> establishing a, a more and more consistent uh, practice. And uh, it hasn't always been easy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I actually just in the last six months got my, my second sit together. I mean, that wow. Took, <laughs> yeah, that took all that, that time. Keep that to, to yourself, don't talk yeah, I, I, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's just what I, happened. Yeah, and I, I realize a lot of it has to do with with my my previous, you know, with with uh, precepts and and uh, yeah. and, and and practices. Um, and it's hard to root those things out. Yeah, they're they're in there hard. Yeah. Um, so we'll just tease them out little mm. by little. And along the way, you get to awaken. Not a bad deal, right, David? Teacher David. The gradual nature of what we do, you start to notice the suppleness that your mind starts to experience. And that suppleness allows you to have that awareness. And you can tell when you're not mindful that stress just happens and that tightness and that you know restricted feeling that you have in your mind and that's what this gradual process is yeah. and you know we've heard people say a couple times the gentleness that you have while you go through this process is really just not a you know nice thing to do it's really a requirement yeah. Without it, right. you will spiral into ruminations of things in the past. But you know the suppleness of your mind is really what is changing. Yeah. So that's what I think of, I think of the jhanas. I like how you think, David. <laughs> Thank you. We'll uh, continue our structured study of jhana Saturday. Um, and we'll finish tonight's class as we always do with metta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, 
contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you, John. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night. Bye, everybody. See you all. <laughs> See you, Janie. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. See you next week. Oh, great. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.